Hi everyone and welcome to The Avocado, a podcast creating a conversation around the intersections of faith, justice and action. We are your hosts, Lydia Cotton and Anna Wooding. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to our second series of The Avocado. We're going to be talking to Rachel and Cynthia today, who are part of the UK Teach Anti-Racism team. Cynthia is currently doing her Masters in Climate Change and International Development at the University of East Anglia, and she is the founder of the Make Education on Racism and Racial Diversity Mandatory Petition. So we're so excited to be talking to her. And alongside Cynthia, we have Rachel. Rachel is a recent graduate in MA Applied Human Rights at the University of York. And she's currently working at a local hospital and is a member of the UK Teach Anti-Racism team. Hello. Awesome. So great to see you guys this morning on Zoom. Thanks for having we us. We should say yeah. for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's awesome. Um, to have you guys kick off our series two of the avocado very very exciting um so should we just like start off with you guys each just telling us a bit about yourself we obviously had that intro but yeah a bit about your background um and maybe yeah just what you're up to at the moment yeah Rich, do you want to go first <laughs> sure <laughs> um so yeah uh, like uh, like you said lydia just uh or not technically graduated. I finished my master's graduations in January for uh, my human rights master's uh, and an English lit at my undergrad uh, at York as well. Um, from Oxford, uh, I was going to say born and raised, I was born in Nottingham, moved to Oxford. Um, currently, yeah, working at my local hospital in facilities management um, on the help desk. So getting lots of calls from different parts of the hospital, anything that needs doing, catering, cleaning, portering patients moving around uh we sought that which has been very interesting in the corona times um but fulfilling yeah okay um well thank you for the lovely introduction anna um doing um my master's in climate change and international relations at the university of east anglia i did my undergraduate in international relations and french at swansea university um, like Rachel, grew up in Oxford. We actually went to school together, which is really cool. I am a British Kenyan. Um, my mum moved here about 25 years ago, but I was like born and raised in the UK. The weird thing is I actually work in, um, well, for healthcare as well, like Rachel, but we didn't mean to like plan that, but um, I've just started <laughs> working for the 111 service. So that's quite fun. That's very exciting. Looks like you guys are just following each other on your path of yeah. life <laughs> <laughs> can't separate you two yeah how have you guys found like this season of lockdown and life in COVID-19 it's surreal isn't it um I think that's the word I always come back to um I think about this time last year and if we saw the photos kind of masks everywhere and and how life would be I think it's it's surreal I've quite felt quite fortunate um because lockdown the first lockdown kind of coincided with these holidays. So I came from home from uni. I've just been home, had somewhere kind of stable to be, managed to finish a degree, managed to get a job. Um, so I kind of personally feel like it hasn't been too bad, but I mean, just very, very surreal, I think. 
I think in a sense, like Rachel, I was a bit fortunate because in the first lockdown, I was like doing my dissertation. So I was really nervous about doing my dissertation, like, oh, everyone's going to have fun. I'm not going to do it because I'm going to want to go out with my friends and things. But because of lockdown, like that didn't happen. So it gave me like an abundance of focus, an abundance of time to focus. And that was really great. But then I don't know, I kind of had unfortunate things happen in lockdown as well. Like um, I was unable to go to work my mum actually got stuck abroad for like two months so that was quite worrying and distressing um but it was good because at least she got to be with my grandmother for lockdown um so in that sense like she got to look after someone who wouldn't have necessarily had her there but for me I was like oh no I don't have my mom how am I gonna make my rent and I feel like yeah it was a bit of a mixed bag really yeah I think that has been like the case for so many people that it's been you can find kind of the positives within like the really hard situation but there's no kind of denying that yeah there's been so many challenges and it's been so hard so and with your other work that you've been doing how has your campaigning kind of fitted into those challenges and yeah what has the journey been for your campaign was it already running before lockdown um and yeah how did you kind of adapt to campaigning within that kind of context so our campaign actually started during like the height well not the height of lockdown but during um the june protests over the murder of george floyd um we actually i think originally we submitted our um our petition like a couple of days after the murder of George Floyd but then um, because of corona the pandemic and a lot of industry slowing down one of the industries that was affected was actually the government so they were running really behind on bureaucracy so it took them probably about two three weeks to publish our petition which for us in a sense was a bit unfortunate because we missed out on the early momentum where you know everybody was really into social media activism and they were signing petitions everywhere so um i'd say that was one major thing that affected um our campaign in regards to lockdown but then i think also if we look at the benefits um a lot more people had this free time they wouldn't necessarily have because they'd be at work or you know they'd just be out with their friends enjoying life and they got to really just focus on like learning about the issues that exist the racial inequalities that exist and educating themselves further so i feel like in a way that also propelled our petition no i completely agree i think we've had a really unideal 2020 but in a way all the conditions aligned like you had this horrific murder that was caught on film that i think really shook people up in a way we haven't seen before um and then you have a pandemic like cc said everyone's got time on their hands it's almost like to me instagram felt like online school there are so many resources um so i think the fact that we had this moment of kind of we could reflect more we had more time everyone had more time I think in a way, although Cece said we missed some of the hype, we still managed to kind of catch that wave of, of interest and then we just have been working hard to kind of keep it going when people are kind of coming out of lockdowns and things like that and life's getting back to kind of a bit more normal. Awesome. And so you kind of started your campaign with the petition. How did you decide to start off with a petition? What was your kind of planning phase up to that point yeah how did you come to that sort of theory of change I guess so um 
obviously your viewers can't tell because it's audio, but um, I'm a young black woman that grew up in the UK. So I've experienced and witnessed a lot of racism. I've been hyper aware of the racial inequalities necessarily because I'm black or also because I'm someone that's really into politics. As you see, I studied it all the way through to masters. But um, I feel like over the past probably like six years, you've seen a lot of awareness of like Black Lives Matter. You've seen like the murders of so many individuals and particularly males, but there is quite a significant number of females as well, as well as just the tensions of racial inequality because people have been protesting it for a long time. And with the UK government, they haven't seemed to acknowledge it too much or even begin to like conquer and tackle these inequalities we see. So I'd say that is like, a big reason why the petition started. I think following the murder of George Floyd, that was just something so horrific that I don't think any of us expected to see, you know, with a man placing his knee on an individual's neck for almost nine minutes. I think that moment, although it's horrendous, it's just so impactful on an individual. And I was talking to my friend because, you know, we saw a lot of these um, protests during the summer and saying to her like, oh, you know, you see now people know about racial inequalities. They want to do something about it. They want to fight it. They want to conquer it. It's a great, as I look back on my it's a great, I'm really proud of <laughs> Cece for, for doing it because I think we were in a moment where there are so many options. Like, do you protest? Is it safe to protest? Um, everyone's trying to read up and educate themselves. And I think, I know for me personally, I get quite overwhelmed when there are too many options. I'm like, oh my gosh, what do I do and what's the right thing to do? And I think Cynthia really sees the moment as well. An official government petition, if it does well enough, and there's clearly interest, people are clearly opening their eyes, can, can do really well and it can be taken to Parliament in a way that can't be done with other petitions. Yeah, I would totally agree. I think what's been really cool about hearing your journey is you've touched on so many different ways that campaigning looks like now. So I think often campaigners don't feel like their, what they're really gunning for is going into like a small box like for, C for CC that was like your lifestyle and that was what you'd experienced for so many years and then it kind of mounted into this campaign and I think yeah we've definitely seen in 2020 about the power of social media but then also the barriers of you know some people can't turn up to protest so how do you still seek justice and seek change when you know you may not be able to physically turn up uh, and it sounds like you've been really resourceful which is really cool about you know, I feel like sometimes the myth with campaigning is that, you know, some people just have a special skill and they birth a campaign and boom, it's like that. Um, but have you found any barriers to your campaigning or ways, kind of things that didn't go right and how did you overcome them? You're on mute, Cynthia. <laughs> sorry okay sorry um I think one of the barriers we had like I said earlier was um the pandemic kind of slowing down government bureaucracy so us missing out on the initial momentum I think also a big barrier we have that wasn't necessarily specific to us but just in general is the fact the government don't really advertise the use of petitions and the use of like grassroots campaigning. So what you saw in the beginning is a lot of people creating petitions on websites like change.org where they thought, you know what, this is going to do something. And in the UK, change.org is very 
but the government don't have to acknowledge a petition that isn't live on their government website. And then just because of, I think, my knowledge of politics, like I knew that would happen. So I knew to go down this route. But I feel like there were other petitions that were similar to ours or similar to other petitions that were heard by the government in terms of changing the curriculum. And probably a lot of people didn't sign that petition because they thought, you know what, I've already signed it on change.org. I'm not going to do that because I've already done it. And they didn't know that their signature is... And not to like at the government, but <laughs> I think when you get to like 50,000 responses on a petition, they can respond. Um, I think, is it 50,000 CC? 10,000. 10, thank you. Um, and we had a response um, and it was a bit discouraging because you kind of got the sense that they were like, okay, we hear you, but we just don't think the curriculum needs to change. And to get that so early on. And then we had a second response because the petition committee sort of turned to the government and said, you haven't properly responded uh, to this petition. You haven't actually um, shown if these things are or aren't in the curriculum. I just want to clarify that um, it wasn't the petitions committee doing it off their own back. It was like us addressing them, adding them on Twitter, saying, excuse me, you didn't address any of the content in our petition. You need to rectify that. Mm. Yeah. So we had that. And then a second response, which again, felt a bit like, you know, we care. and Racism is terrible. But within the same breath, the government saying, but we don't need to change the curriculum. Um, so you think, OK, well, even if we get enough signatories and enough momentum, we'll will it go through um and uh and i think keeping up another thing just keeping up the momentum i think so many people care about these issues but again lockdown opens up people are living their lives the news cycle for black lives matter kind of goes down um and suddenly we were going from thousands of people signing a day to you know really low numbers so i think almost just poking your friends saying keep sharing it you know reaching out to people it was almost just that daily grind i think of of you know people out there care it's just kind of activating that I think yeah for sure and um I just something you said like about your campaign specifically um about um making sure that this is taught in schools it's part of the curriculum can you just give like a bit of an overview about why it is really important like I think a lot of people who listen to this would would know but kind of for you guys why do you see like education in school and this being like a mandatory part of the curriculum why do you see that as like a really important route to tackling anti-racism in the UK um if you can just give yeah a quick overview of that I think um a really important aspect is the fact you're raising the future generation so I think in a lot of the institutions we see whether it's policing um the workplace healthcare um, there is racial inequality that exists and these children will become the future doctors, the future lawyers, the future um, police officers and, and they will become the future politicians within these positions and if they don't recognise racism as an issue or as an issue that's impacting us all um, very negatively then these systems won't change. Um, so I think that's the major reason. I think that's so important about systems change, especially what you said about the next generation, because um, I think grassroots movements can be really important and powerful, but we also need to be tackling the systems which you're doing in your petition. Um, so that, yeah, it's just really cool to hear your journey and what you guys are going on and like how you keep persevering um, and having that persistence, even when it feels like the government isn't responding well. So we've been kind of talking about the petition, but where are you guys at with it now? So I know, Cynthia, you talked um, on an online yeah to the government so would you just mind telling us more about that yeah so um we were very fortunate 
And before we got the necessary 100,000 signatures needed for our petition to be considered for debate, the Petitions Committee, um, in a joint session with the Women's and Equalities Committee, decided to hear our petition alongside a petition asking them to teach British colonialism and slavery, and a petition asking them to teach um, BAME history um, as a whole. Um, so we all got to give um, our ideas and um, um, we all got to give our ideas and our thoughts as to why our um, respective petitions were important. Um, as well as that, they also had authors and scholars and researchers who study on this issue and they were hearing evidence from them. Um, after um, that meeting, they had another hearing in which they took more evidence from um, experts in the field. And what they've done recently, which I think ended yesterday, correct me if I'm wrong, Rachel, is they had a public call for evidence in which people could respond to um, questions about racial inequality in terms of um, employment and enterprise, healthcare, education, and policing and crime. So everyone was able to submit their own responses to the government's 10 questions on these topics and just give their views on how these issues can be rectified, how they can be amended, how they can be addressed. And soon they should be taking it for an actual debate in Parliament in which, you know, we hope the government and the um, other members of Parliament just make the right decision. Mm. Yeah, I think kind of the challenge for us is thinking going forward, like how do we keep that pressure up? I think it's great, Cindy particularly has created some great links with MPs um, so we can kind of come back to them. And I think even if, you know, like we said, it feels like this government isn't, to uh maybe doesn't see the urgency of changing the curriculum but there are enough members of parliament even debating it i think you get that conversation going um so i guess it's about kind of keeping that pressure um and also we have a an instagram account a cheeky plug um and that became a real like hub for reaching out to other organizations and and also creating our own resources and kind of filling in the gaps you know where the curriculum isn't i think we're quite passionate about keeping that up because we've got a nice little kind of following at this point and people who really just want to learn and we want to learn. So I think we've kind of got those two elements of, of keep learning uh, and also keeping the pressure on the government and on politicians. Awesome. That sounds really cool. And yeah, we'll definitely post your Instagram in our notes on the podcast so people can follow you guys and follow your journey and support your campaigning. Um, so yeah, that was um, yeah so exciting to hear about where your campaign is going in the future. But I'd kind of love to hear um, how did you guys gain kind of campaigning experience? Like, have you done a campaign like this previously, um, or is this something apart from obviously you're studying um, and yeah your degrees and being really clued up in that sense kind of possibly more in like a theoretical or an academic sense how did you yeah gain the experience or the knowledge to know how to put that into a real life campaign that affects change so I think like you said um a lot of the theoretical knowledge that um, we both have from our respective degrees really helped us I think also just being like young people and being really active on social media like we know we knew the different avenues to take there, and I think 
a big lesson I learned through like my reading of just different people who have launched successful campaigns and movements is as well as sticking with um, the message you have because the message you have is probably quite strong it's also about knowing when to deliver that message like knowing when people are going to be most responsive to hear your message I think CC is really good on like thinking strategically and saying, right, okay, we need to speak to these people and like you say, put out this message then. I think I'm terrible at that. <laughs> so she's been good for, for doing that. Oh, but I, <laughs> this is a positive cycle Anna was talking about, hyping each other up. Um, I think I get, I kind of think, oh, well, I'm passionate. And I know so many people are passionate. So like, it will just work, um, which is maybe a bit naive, but I think a lot of, campaigning I think or at least from this campaign I've kind of learned and I think definitely during my degree and also during this summer Black Lives Matter is just speaking up kind of being brave enough to know that your voice counts alongside everyone else's and kind of speaking to other people whether it's people in your life um, or networking more broadly using social media however you do it um, because I don't know if I keep coming back to the point that kind of a lot of people care it's just kind of and a campaign is just mobilizing that um, so yeah i think neither of us actually have an awful lot of campaigning experience directly but it's more like taking bits from the degree or from um life uh being gen z slash millennial i like to think we're millennial um uh, and kind of putting it all together and and learning as you go i guess um seeing what other campaigns are doing yeah i think that's super encouraging as well because there'll be so many people here in the same situation as you guys like they see an issue or something that they really feel like people care about but it is getting that in the spaces of people who can affect change and influence it and yeah I think it's so encouraging to hear that you guys are like well you didn't have loads of campaigning experience but you have those bits of knowledge that you've picked up from yeah different places and have used that to create amazing change and I think yeah I've heard a couple of other people say stuff like that like um, I was listening to a podcast with Scarlett Curtis. I don't know if you, yeah, you guys know her, but she kind of said a similar thing that she was running a campaign whilst at uni and like she'd hear something in a lecture and then be like, okay, let's do that. <laughs> and I think that's, yeah, just a really cool thing that we can do now with social media and like these like quicker ways of communicating that we can literally hear something. And if we feel like it's the right time, you can go out and communicate it, which is, yeah, awesome. Um, to hear and yeah just super encouraging I think that we don't have to wait for a specific moment or time um, or level of experience that everyone is yeah have, has got a valued voice and should be heard so that's definitely really cool yeah I think what Anna said there's no magic you know kind of thing that makes a campaigner a campaigner I think it's just people who think you know it's always the right time if you care about something you know start somewhere and and it will and it will go where it goes and again learning as you go um i think that probably happens with most campaigns you know it's not going to be this perfect thing from the get-go and that's okay i might be wrong but rachel did you have experience with mps or in politics i'm trying to think have i got experience with mps in politics right she worked with the labor party I mean, I don't want to brag. I leafleted as a child. <laughs> I took leaflets up and down our local streets. I'm not sure um, how, maybe, you know, subconsciously, you know, the perseverance of when it's raining with the house, like, Rach, let's go let's put some political leaflets through people's doors. Maybe that spirit came back. I don't know during the summer. Um, uh, no, I did a little bit of work with uh, a refugee charity. It was actually placement um, last December now. Project ran from 
um, October to March and that was kind of research and working with people and building report um, and I think again skills from that I mean that's not directly linked that wasn't campaigning that was research but um, in terms of kind of the longevity of that um, and and communicating with different groups of people I think again just taking anything you know from experience and, and putting it into what you're doing I think uh, again applies applies to that. Um, I'd say first and foremost, make it something you're truly passionate about, something that, you know, whether loads of people gravitate towards the movement or not, you're going to continue with. Because I think what we experience is we experience this high in which there was a point we'd get like 10,000 signatures a day. And then this point where we were struggling to even make a hundred and we just had to keep persevering and... I think if it's something you're not passionate about, you'd be quite willing to like give up the movement. So that would be my main piece of advice, definitely. Yeah, I completely agree with C. Um, and again, that thing of, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but starting somewhere, I think we get, again, so scared to start something. Um, but whether it's creating a petition or, and I think reaching out to, to friends or family members, you know, it's likely there are people in your circles who are like-minded. Um, and, and it's been great to do this with, you know genuinely one of my best friends for years and years um so that that's something and then maybe if you want to join a local group or something like that you know you might have more confidence to do that if you're kind of with someone you know so kind of look around you in your immediate circle and if not again social media helps you reach out further um and yeah i suppose start there maybe um i'd also like to add is just don't ignore avenues that you don't regularly walk down. Because I think one thing we experienced is we were like, you know what, let's focus on like Instagram and Twitter because they're like the main things um, that we use or that we think people of our age would use. And then suddenly <laughs> I decided to like, you know what, let me go through Facebook. And I infiltrated like all of these different types of groups, whether it was like Mauritians in UK, I'm not... Um, um, from Mauritius obviously um, like just all these different types of groups that I didn't I think there was one like a parenting group like I'm in like three parenting groups and I'm just 22 living in a uni accommodation no kids whatsoever but like seeing that like that really helped us just exploring these different avenues that we're not necessarily into like I made my little cousins make like dance TikTok videos in hopes they'd go viral and things so yeah that's awesome yeah I think that is like so true because I think we can like get stuck in our own like echo chambers we can get stuck in our own like groups and yeah if you're a student it's like oh students are the only people that can create change or um if you're out of uni maybe people have like kind of disparaging thoughts about students I don't know but um it I think, yeah, if you can like broaden that out, like, yeah, a mum's group on Facebook can be super influential. Like you just have to go on mum's now to see what, not that I have been, but to see what kind of influence like um, a sort of parenting community could have. So I think that is like such a good piece of advice to just, yeah, look at where is influence housed in different like parts of the community, different parts of your community online. Um, it's such a, yeah, such a great tip. Um, Great. So I think I've got um, a question around kind of your motivations again for like starting the campaign. Um, I'd kind of love to hear a bit about like your faith and if kind of your faith has impacted your campaigning either in like the way you've gone about it or in terms of like your values that you hold. Um, yeah. 
So, <laughs> uh, I'm a Catholic, um, born and raised. <laughs> um, and I think when I was about 16, um, I was kind of thinking, like, I'm pretty sure I believe in God, but like, I don't know for sure. Um, and friends would ask me, because even though we went to a Catholic school, a lot of people weren't religious at all. And they're like, oh, wow. So like, you really believe in God? And I was kind of like, I don't know. Um, but a few things kind of happened in my life. And I kind of thought, actually, no, this is something that I really believe in. It's not just like going to church on Sunday with my family. Like, this is something I want to pursue. Um, and there's so much good there in terms of like the core values. I feel very lucky that through my parents and through church kind of values of respect and compassion um, are things that I've kind of had as a foundation that now that I'm an adult I can kind of um, hopefully build on um, so yeah I think when it came to this campaign I don't know about CC but it's almost like those Christian values are automatically gonna influence it um, I'm trying to kind of think about how to how to word this but I think you know again justice compassion peace respect these are all very kind of christian things um and i think they link very closely to activism um i think sometimes kind of christian and going to church is seen as one thing and you know activism is another thing but kind of they're very intertwined so for me um they've just both moved together if that makes sense um yeah I, again i'm the same as rachel in which um, I was um, born and raised Catholic as well. I think from a young age, my mom kind of like implemented Christian values within my life. And it's something that I think, I also went through this kind of moment in which I was um, unsure of my faith. And I've, I've ne it's, it's never been something I could ever escape or ever something that I wanted to escape because I feel like those foundations really ground me and they keep me strong and they help me to persevere and I think as well as it being like a motivator because I think if if Jesus was alive right now I'm pretty sure people would call him an activist I think as well as that it's also in the moments in which you feel weak and in which you want to give up I think your faith really motivates you and drives you to keep pushing because you remember you everything you do impacts others and you want to be as positive as possible you want to show people that I think a lot of the time Christians do get this um, reputation of being exclusive and being hypocrites and not living in which in a way in which we believe is holy or we believe is um, Jesus-like and it's about kind of also changing that narrative for our faith and for people that share an offer. That's such a fantastic quote. If Jesus was alive today, he would be like known as an activist. I think that's so true. And yeah, like I, I get why some people are a bit, you know, annoyed with the church if they feel like we just stay in one building and kind of sing songs and it doesn't look like going out. Um, so yeah I, yeah, I just think that's so encouraging for so many of us who are activists or are campaigners or are going out on the streets that faith looks like that too. And Rachel, I'd agree that you can't separate them. They are going hand in hand. Um, and I think it's really encouraging to see you guys really live that out so other people have examples of like what that looks like. Um, so talking about justice and talking about, uh, I guess, being the church and being Christians and like having our faith um look like not just something that we have and feel but also something that 
like is a call to action. Um, what do you want to see other young adults doing when it comes to justice and seeking change? What would your hope for them be? Wow, it's a really good question. Um, I think what I found really encouraging, like I said, loads of the Christian values that we kind of hold close, I think are just good values in general that a lot of people live by. A lot of people want to live in a peaceful society. A lot of people want us all to be respected and treated with dignity. Um, so it's almost just, again, it's also a bravery thing and it's really hard, but kind of whether it's having conversations with people around you or joining a campaign or start a campaign, I suppose it's, it's being active. I think a lot of people are good and believe in good. Um, it's just about kind of taking that step. So like Cynthia said, whatever you're really passionate about, don't be afraid to kind of go and pursue it because whether you're a Christian or not, I think these are values that a lot of us, um, you know, care about and it's a world you want to live in. So I suppose it's just, it's a, it's a thing about courage. Like Cece says, sometimes when you're, you're scared, um, especially from a faith perspective, you kind of, I don't know, you can feel hopeless, but actually that's in a moment where you want to have more faith. Um, I think there's a Martin Luther King quote about, kind of hope isn't about the moment being right it's about knowing that you know it'll get better um yeah that is a really good question <laughs> like I was listening to Rachel's response and I was like yeah yeah um but I think I think the same as Rachel definitely just um kind of teaching young people to be brave. I feel like a lot of the time we get, you know, we get told like, oh, these students, they're up to no good. All oh, these teenagers, they're up to no good. And it kind of like, it puts us down. And I think another thing is just having like more regular examples around us. That's what I want to see. I think, especially in this day and age in which like influencers kind of run the world and <laughs> which you have kind of like these unattainable statuses to kind of like live up to. I want to see more people just bragging about, you know, their daily success. Like, you know, I got up, I went to work and that was great. I, I finished my essay and that's an achievement. Just kind of not being scared to show the positive things that are happening in your life and not being scared to acknowledge the smaller achievements because they are achievements and those achievements can encourage other people to just to just be positive and happy. I just want a positive, happy, peaceful, loving society, I think. Yeah, it is those day to day, especially with like anti-racism. I feel like like campaigning and activism can look like talking to family members that you don't think have the same view and actually you need to challenge some of that or it can look like when you have a panel and it's all white like why is that happening and making sure that there's recognition and representation um so I think that's so true about celebrating not just like the end goal but celebrating the process and what you're doing and the fact that I mean especially in COVID the fact that people you know are going to work day by day like that is a huge challenge um and I think you're really touching on like the well-being aspect of campaigning and activism and making sure that you know self-care is happening and that you're feeling like positive about the journey and you're feeling like you are making change because if we're not enjoying it as we go along then I don't think we would get there um so yeah really really helpful <laughs> so yeah we're kind of coming to the end of our conversation now which is super sad it's been amazing to chat to you guys and hear about your campaigning um if there are people listening who want to be um, involved in your campaign specifically um are there things that um people can do to support you guys um do you still have a petition running or yeah what can they do to get involved and spread the word about your campaign 
Okay, so unfortunately by then um, our petition will be closed. Um, another nugget of information is that once you put a petition on the government website, it only has six months to um, achieve the required 100,000 signatures. So by then we would have reached our six months, or well, by now. By now we would have reached our six months, unfortunately. But um, what we do is we do have a survey up in which we're asking people about their experiences um, learning about racism, anti-racism and racial diversity in schools. And we've submitted that to the government, but they might want to take it further. So we want all the responses we can get. Um, like Rachel said, we'd plug our um, Instagram page, which is at UK Teach Anti-Racism, in which we have a ton of resources and a ton of information, both original content and just some um, reposting other people's content that we feel is amazing. Yeah, <laughs> I disagree, Cece. I think that's they're kind of the main the main avenues. And yeah, like please do message us on Instagram I think we're a little team um, and, and people send us really sweet messages about how they kind of feel they're learning with us which is is all we kind of like so if you want to get involved in any way do just kind of drop us a DM because um, we'd love to we'd love to chat awesome that sounds great no just this this has been so great I think like I wouldn't always say that I'm very actively involved in campaigns but I think after this like I know people say that and you're like oh you're just being really cliche but I think it does like it really does make like it really authentic and it makes it real and like you've shown us the journey especially like times where you've had to keep persevering so I think it just reminds me that if you get like a setback that doesn't mean that it's the end but really like go for something that you're passionate about and go for something that you're willing to stick out no matter how many views you get just because it's the right thing um yeah, and I think the more like people we get doing the right thing and just pushing that regardless of what other people think, um, I'm excited for the next generation of us youngins. Yeah, I mean, this <laughs> makes me excited, honestly. I think just speaking to you guys, know how much you care. Again, I think you've both talked about whether it's faith or life, just living kind of the life you want to live by your values and kind of being the person that you want to be kind of seeing in the world and other people kind of thing. Um, I'd say the same for you guys, like with everything you're doing, honestly, it, it kind of, it makes me excited. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, guys. This has thank been absolutely amazing. And I yeah, wish you all the best in your campaign. We'll definitely continue to support you guys through our like, social media and what we're doing. So yeah, just hope you have a great rest of your day. It's been amazing to speak to you. Thank you so much for having us, guys. Take care. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Have a good day. Thanks, guys. Thank You're brilliant. you, guys. Keep going. <laughs> Thanks for listening to The Advocado. The Advocado is produced by the Christian A Collective and presented by Anna Wooding and Lydia Cotton. If you want to get in touch, follow us on at the CA Collective. If you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a five-star review as it helps other people to find us. See you next time for another episode of The Advocado.